Thank you so much, Deacon Adrian Lowe. First time he's leading his service, so we had to pray for him a lot. I think we gather here to glorify God and to encourage each other. So one way to encourage him is to just... It's not easy to stand up here in, stand up here in public to do things, but empowered by God, we continue to serve him in small and big ways. You've come at a wonderful time. You've come to join us because we're beginning a new series of messages from the Epistle of Romans. And so, in the first part of the year, we started with John's Gospel, John 1 to 12. And there we encourage all of us to be learning the seven I am sayings of Jesus, which we emphasize again at the camp. And at the camp, John 13 to 17, these are the ingredients, the DNA of God's family built on love, built on humility, that's totally different to a world, the family of the world, that's built on pride and built on self-glory. And so then we followed that up with Deuteronomy, and now here we are at Romans. And so to give you continuity of what we do here, that everything that we do is rooted in God's Word, and everything that we do has to do with God. So I want you to, want us to begin our time by imagining Right. What advice, what value add on Eunice can you give to the greatest and the mightiest power? But let's begin with a domestic situation. Right. So our granddaughter is just about two years old. And at two years old, beginning to string words together, not full sentences, sometimes yes, sometimes yes. But a lot of imitation, a lot of mimicking. Caesar's doing something, she will follow. And then when she has her, what we call the plaything, masa masa her kitchen, do you uh, make, make yeah, yeah, a cup of tea, she will go and do that. Make yeah, yeah, a hamburger, she will go and do that. And can you imagine if she, at two years old, then ran into the kitchen and started to instruct her parents about how to cook lunch or dinner. And if they were to follow her instructions one by one. Of course, you, a two-year-old can't give instructions to her parents of how to cook a real meal. They don't really know what the ingredients go in there. They're... Can you imagine, imagine writing a note to Roger Federer to improve his tennis skills? Can you imagine writing a note to Messi to up his dribbling skills. Can you imagine writing a note to Michael Jordan to sharpen his basketball shots? Can you imagine telling Verstappen of F1 to maybe improve his driving? Can you imagine? Do you need me to go on? Can you imagine telling Albert Einstein to get a little bit more intelligent? Can you imagine telling our founding Prime Minister, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, how to make a political speech to rally the people? He was a masterclass in that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine writing to Rome, the most progressive, powerful nation at that time, and telling them of a power and a peace that is greater than what Rome is capable of doing? That is the essence of Romans. Paul the Apostle does this. And as he does this, the striking verse in chapter 1 that will carry on is this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we need to ask, as we understand the context of this, here is a man, right? He's a conquered citizen of a conquered nation, writing to his conquerors, as it were, writing to Rome, the center of empire, and telling them of a greater power. It takes courage. It takes, it takes something unnatural, inhuman to do this. He's called by God to do this. So what does a conquered citizen of a conquered nation have to do, have to say to Rome? What advice, what value add, what newness? How can he speak truth to power and speak power to truth? This man who is a nobody, this man who is unknown in the corridors of power in Rome. So we have here very important 
What do we have here? A simple outline. It's about Paul's identity, which becomes slightly bigger than his identity, as you will see. And then his thanksgiving and his prayers. And then we come to that punchline. His secret weapon, his secret power, his motto in life, God's power to the most powerful nation. And so, Paul's identity. He's a servant of Christ Jesus, right? Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So I'll try to underline his many things. We read this earlier. Okay. Was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we just read that. It should be very clear in your mind. So first thing, Paul's identity. He says three things about himself. He is a servant. Literally, he's a slave of Christ Jesus. And that's very important for, for us to note. For those who are new to Christianity, who was he before? His, his previous name was Saul. And as a Jew, a true blue Jew, a very loyal Jew, an orthodox Jew, he hated anyone who left his Judaism to believe in this man who died on the cross, Jesus, and to believe him as Messiah. So Paul's whole life, Saul's whole life, was to hunt down, chase down, pursue all who believe in Jesus as Messiah, arrest them, trial them, and he was at one point at the stoning of the first martyr, Stephen. And so that was him. He went around enslaving people. Then the risen Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and converted him and commissioned him. You, <laughs> if you were God, you, you wouldn't do this, right? Send the most Jewish of Jewish persons, the most kosher of kosher persons, to go and evangelize the Gentiles whom they hate. You should send a more, a more Grecian Jew to do that. So you don't send a, a person who's totally loyal to his race to cross the boundaries because this person is so filled with racial pride and prejudice. But that is God. He confronted Paul, the most kosher of kosher Jews, to go and be apostle to the Gentiles. Apostle to the Gentiles. So a servant, that's a huge thing. An apostle, a messenger, so he's added to the 12 minus 1 Judas, and he's added to this as God's team to start the family of God around the world. He's set apart, which means him being set apart for this gospel which has been promised from before, that means this gospel and him being an apostle of it is not a last-minute effort. It's not a last-ditch effort. Have you ever been a last-minute substitute for something? So I used to run unthinkably in the 100 metres and 200 metres in school. And then one day at our sports day at the 4 by 400 right, one of them fell sick. And my coach just said, you run now. Uh, <laughs> 400 metres is quite different no? at that speed. I only knew how to run 200, was, which was why better run. And so I had to run. The coach says, run, so run. I ran the first 200 meters like 200 meters. The next 200 meters, I almost died. <laughs> because I was crawling. By the time I finished, he scolded me. But I just, I've never run 400 meters like that. You think the gospel was a last-minute thing? A last-ditch effort? You think, Paul, it was purpose that God would do this through this man. And so it's so important, his whole identity in the first few verses is that his whole identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Do you watch the movie Elvis? It's not a sin, it's okay. It's okay, right? I watched it, okay. And the actor of that is Austin Butler, right? I think he, from Disney fame, a child star grew up. And then he just imbibed the role so much 
He watched video clip after video clip. He listened. His intonation changed. His body movement changed. You should watch it just for the way he portrayed that. He spoke to Elvis's wife, Elvis's daughter. And for about three years, he just lived that role. We call that, a, I think, a method actor, where they go deep into the character. And sometimes, he, you know, when he's being interviewed, sometimes he still comes out as Elvis. His whole identity is wrapped up. But when you think about that, this is an actor in relationship with someone who passed away. He's trying to imitate him by watching his videos and his movies and his listening to his songs. We are in imitation of Jesus, who is not a dead man in a tomb, but is seated at God's right hand. It's a living relationship that we, through the Holy Communion, will remember that we are not in communion with a dead person. We are in communion with the risen Lord, whom we killed. And that's very important. His whole identity is wrapped up with Jesus. And I want to ask myself, ask you, is, is that you? You wake up in the morning, first thing you think about, breakfast. Is it? You wake up in the morning, you open your eyes, first thing you think about, coffee. First thing you think about is what? Shares. First thing you think about is, I do not know, your phone. First thing, my, you might want to change of listening to this. If you can open your eyes, and don't presume you can, right? First thing you think about is Jesus. How about that? You give thanks to God for Jesus. Then I'm married. I've told you this many times. I turn to my wife, and I thank God for my wife. Then, as I raise my children, I walk to their rooms and say, Good morning! Right? Christ is risen. Are you? <laughs> That's not bad, right? To wake teenagers up. <laughs> Christ is risen. Why haven't you? <laughs> That's not too bad. God loves you. Christ loves you. Dad loves you. Then I go downstairs, have my quiet time. That's waking up with Christ. Then committing your, days, your day to Christ. I've got five meetings today. I've got two counselling sessions today. Example, right? You commit each one to Christ. By the time you finish that day, you gather at a dinner table. This is what God empowered me to. This one definitely divine appointment. I just bump into that person. You never bump into people. God made you bump into that person. So I do bump into you somewhere. It's a divine appointment, right? You may not think so, but it is. And so, this is what it means to completely wrap up. From a morning to night, from Mondays to Sundays, Paul was completely wrapped up in Jesus. And previously, if he could sing a song, right, when he was Saul persecuting the church, all I want to do is get rid of Christ. Now the new song he sings is, all I have is Christ, which is the song we're going to sing in closing I want to challenge you, would that be the song you sing? That all I have is Christ, from the moment I wake to the moment I sleep, and everything in between, every breath that I have, is Christ and Christ alone. The next thing we need to understand is the gospel of God, right? So gospel just means good news. And in the world that Paul wrote, the two main types of good news is good news. Our nation, our king, our emperor has won a victory a battle out, where, out there in the boundaries, and, and the news filters back to the capital. Second type of good news is good news, good news. There's a male, male heir to the throne, and that news will travel from the capital to the outer reaches of the empire. So it's that kind of good news. But this good news now comes, either the, the word can be translated origin, from God, or this good news is of God. And I think the meaning is both. The source of this comes from God. I was speaking to a group of pastors last week. He said, oh, so stressful to preach now. No? Because you preach, right? you quote something, you use something. Uh, the young folks Google, then come up to you. Hey, you quoted wrongly. So some of the pastors are you know, nervous about preaching. Please be kind to the pastors. Lah, right? And I want to tell you the sermon is not chat GPT. Right? So where did the source come from? I, I just got a message, I just got a message, right? That uh, Tesla is trying to capture more market share here in terms of electric vehicles. And next week, just for 24 hours, 
Tesla is going to go on sale for $10,000. Of course not, lah. this is just a joke. Lah. <laughs> if I got that message that Tesla will be sold at $10,000, you would be asking me, where did you get that from? I'm in personal contact with Elon Musk, don't you know? He's a personal friend of mine. This good news comes from God. That's what Paul is saying on behalf of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This good news, more importantly, is of God. It's about God. It is about God before it is about us. So is God-centered before it is about you-centered. Very important, you get this right. And what does it mean this is about God? The content is about God. Do you know God has a problem? God has no problem within Himself. Father, Son and Holy Spirit have no problem, no quarrel. God has a problem with us. How to deal with us? How to relate to us? Because today's reading ended at verse 17. Verse 18 will be, verse 18, if you look in the Bibles, it will be, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodlessness and wickedness of men. You do not write a letter to the most progressive nation of the world and tell them that the wrath of God is upon you. Rome had more temples and more man-made gods which included their emperor, emperor worship. You do not tell the most powerful, prosperous nation who is offering peace to other people by conquering them and offering them Roman rule that God's, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men, which includes Roman citizens. You can say that of barbarians, but please do not say that of us. And so what is God's problem? God's problem is this. How can a holy God save sinners without compromising himself? Compromising his Holiness, compromising his justice, compromising himself. It's called the righteousness of God, which will be the main theme running through 16 chapters of Romans. And so what is it that God has to resolve? There are two sides to the character of God. And in Jesus and the cross, the gospel that carries the message of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead is where wrath and mercy meet. For in 118, the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. By 630, the wages of sin is death. 630-33. By 8-1, there is now no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For the law spirit of life has set us free from the law of, of sin and death. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, so he moves from wrath that is upon all, we are the objects of God's wrath. And if not for God's mercy, this problem will not be solved. So when you see Jesus, our Lord Jesus, when you hear Him and see Him in your mind, bleeding, dying on the cross, you will look at the most righteous man, where the wrath of God and the mercy of God meet for us for God's glory. Good news, good news, from God, about God. This problem is now solved. And because this is now solved by the humility and obedience of Jesus Christ, then you can come, both Jews and Gentiles, simply by faith in this righteousness of God offered to you. And that's why it's important to understand this. So he moves from his identity, which is second order, to the identity of Jesus. And the identity of Jesus has two parts to it. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God. So that's one side of understanding the Lord Jesus. Declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what does he mean by this, Jesus' identity? Paul uses two ways to explain this good news, good news, from God, of God. In verse 3 to 4, he uses 
It centers around Jesus. A technical term, it's Christological. He used Jesus to explain this good news is all centered around Jesus. You take Jesus from the good news, it collapses. There's no good news. Which tells you you have to listen carefully and choose your churches carefully. Because not all churches preach a gospel with Christ at the center. And you need to ask yourself, yes, Jesus is always mentioned, but what kind of Jesus? That you believe in Jesus and there'll be no more problems in your life? You believe in Jesus, you will know, have no sicknesses in your life? You take this communion that we serve you and sell you and there'll be no more sickness and only success in your life? You do not hear that kind of gospel here. It's a man-made gospel. The gospel that we hear is important. Christ, and in terms of salvation, the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, is the power of God to salvation. So he explains the gospel in two main ways, and that will control the rest of the epistle, which is important for you and me to understand. So Jesus' identity, is he speaking here, Paul, of two natures? Then concerning his son, in his humanity, He's descended from David's line in fulfillment of David's line. In terms of his divinity and deity, he's declared to be the Son of God in power by the Spirit. That's one interpretation. But another very valid interpretation is that it not just speaks about the two natures of Jesus, his humanity descended from David's line, his deity raised by power by the Spirit to be the Son of God. Now he rules in heaven and he rules with his glorified body. And that's totally different. So you can trust Jesus to rule over us. But he speaks of the two stages of human history. Before this and after this. Before Jesus came, after Jesus came. Before Jesus came, the whole world was ruled and lived by flesh. S-A-R-X, the Greek, the Greek word for flesh which means a world in rebellion, a world that has fallen, a world that is weakened by sin. But after this, it's a world ruled by the risen Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he explains the identity of the Lord Jesus, which tells you it's most important for us to understand. I deliberately got us to read in responsive reading, Romans 16, to see how it ends. And Romans 16, how it ends, says this. Do you think you can try and read this together with me? Romans 16, let's read this. Now to him. you so much. If you paid, if we were paying a bit of attention to how he starts in chapter 1 verse 1 to 4 and how he ends in chapter 16 verse 25 to 27, you would have noticed a lot of similarities and the main similarities run along these lines. It's about Paul's authority. It's not his self-given authority. It's not his self-appointed authority. It's given by God. Set apart is in fulfillment of the Old Testament. And thirdly, this gospel, we say, stands or falls on Jesus. You take Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection away, there is no good news from God. There is no good news of God. If there is no good news from God and of God, there is no good news for you. It's just a fake gospel. And this gospel is not proclaimed to Jews and Gentiles. And so, how many of you were at the Getty's concert? Right? So it was wonderful. 4,200 of us to get it there. We had leaders from all the different denominations, Anglicans, Methodists, Baptists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, etc. Right? The Presbyterians, you could tell, the ones who didn't clap. <laughs> and then we had young folks. We also invited our 
Basque Ministry, former drug addicts, etc., to be seated very close with the guests. We also invited the Rhoda sisters to come sit with us. We also had at-risk youth, and we had people from different countries, Malaysia, Indonesia, Nepal, etc. All... If you were gathered at the foot of Calvary, watching Jesus die, and this man was supposed to bring good news to all the nations, beginning with his nation, you wouldn't ever believe. So I keep asking, what is, keep getting is Irish. What does the Irish man have to do with the China man? Nothing. What does the Nepalese have to do with you? Nothing. But we are all one in Christ. 2,000 years later, the greatest growing organization, for one better word, is the Church of God, inclusive of Jews and Gentiles. So here we are Singaporeans, and some of us, I don't like the word foreigners. You're new here to our midst, but we are all one, washed clean by the blood of Christ, justified by the finished work of Jesus. Amen? For the glory of Christ and the glory of God. That's how he starts. That's how he ends. So, now, after explaining that, his identity, which is subsumed to Jesus' identity, now he speaks to the identity of the Roman Christians. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. So the first definition of being, a first definition of being Christians, loved by God, loved by God. Right? Called to be saints, the word just means holy. Grace to you and peace from God. It sounds like a standard greeting. It is a standard greeting. But this standard greeting, every word that Paul writes, carries very important meaning. So from the church camp, explain peace as God's shalom. I highly commend this to, to us. Going back to waking up and sleeping. When you wake up each day, can you greet each other with shalom? My peace to you. Somebody just gave us a, a new puppy because our dog passed away and he's six months old, full of energy. So I'm trying to calm him and train him. So I've now decided the word to greet my dog is Shalom. <laughs> As I walk, Shalom, calm down, calm down. Do you think he understands Jesus? I don't know. I'll tell you my, my cat story one day. And, and so he writes this. I do not know how you write messages, right? I'm old-fashioned. The first time I got a handphone, I was so excited. I don't know, 10 years ago or so. So my messages were, Dear Bim, hello, how are you? Right? You know, hope you're having a good day. It's like writing a letter, no? Because that's what I thought what it was for. My children tell me, who writes messages like that? Let's get to the point, la. I'll meet you for lunch at Ang Mokyo. We've got dear this, hello, how's your day? <laughs> this is like Paul, dear, hello, how's your day? You think that was his main purpose? It's not, a, it's a customary greeting, but loaded with sincerity and meaning. Why? Because you need to understand. According to the scholars, there were 20,000 to 50,000 Jews living in Rome at that time mainly at an eastern quarter of Rome. The gospel was not brought by the apostles. It was most likely brought by the diaspora Jews. And so the Jewish Christians came and gospel Rome, house to house. Then, because they kept speaking about this man called Christ, right, they stirred controversy among the Jews. The controversy became so big that Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews over an issue because they were quarrelling about this person called Christus. Christus, most likely the name of Jesus. So he marched out the entire Jewish population in AD 49. He issued a policy, a decree, right? So have you ever witnessed people being marched out of a city? Pol Pot marched out his entire population with the Khmer Rouge and butchered them. You learn war history, and they've always marched people out to butcher them. When the Japanese came here in 1942, they marched out hundreds of Chinese to different places because they thought the Chinese here would be in sympathy with the Chinese in mainland China and just shot them wherever. 
if you were marched out, your relationship with the local population, totally different. And it's a gentile emperor, by the way. Emperor Claudius dies in AD 54. Slowly, in drips and draps, the Jews come back. But don't forget, they had started to form as house churches, what we call discipleship groups. They met Jews and Gentiles. By the time they come back, there are deep suspicions, accusations against each other. That's why Paul spends a lot of time on Jew-Gentile relationships. Because there were deep conflicts between the Jews and Jewish and Gentile Christians. And so, if that is truly a valid interpretation, which I think it is, so he will say in Romans chapter 9 to 11, he will reason about the Jews and the Gentiles and their relationship, very important. Into this situation, go backwards. Into such a situation of broken relationships, filled with suspicions. We're supposed to gather Jews and Gentiles to worship the Lord Jesus together, but filled with suspicions against it, filled with caricatures. All Jews are like that. All Gentiles are like that. These words become precious. Love by God, grace to you, shalom to you. It becomes precious. If you ever suffered a broken relationship, divorce, a break away from your parents, to be so greeted, to be so forgiven, to be so reconciled, to so receive the love and peace between two people. It is what your heart aches for, longs for, and will lift your heart. That was most likely the situation for them. So he will say in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, love must not be hypocritical. It's very easy for love to be hypocritical between races. So have you ever worshipped between races? A good friend who pastored an international church, I think in Geneva, and in that church it was mainly Americans, British, Australian, New Zealanders, Canadians. You say, hey, what do they have in common? Huh? Americans, Australians, Canadians, New Zealanders, uh, all from the same Anglo-Saxon stock. What? Should be very united. After a few years, he quit. You think it's easy to get Americans to agree with British? You think it's easy for British to get along with, with, the, with the Australians? Right? They made them convicts. Now, all one in Christ Jesus, though he laughed about it, it's not easy. So my experience of it, I was invited to a Thai fellowship to preach. It was meeting at, I think, a church at Newton Circus. I, I, I went there. I preached, of course, in English to a whole group of Thai people. And the one translating my message was Korean. <laughs> you couldn't get more confused than that, right? But what's that a beautiful picture of? All one in Christ Jesus. So I was there, and this part will be cut in, in China, and training in an underground church. Chinaman, speaking to fellow Chinaman, but I can't speak Mandarin. Training from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and they still wanted more. And my translator, Korean again. When I experienced those things, those international gatherings, the beauty of it, right? The beauty of us being one in Christ Jesus. We must pray for ARPC, not simply to be mainly Chinese. As Singapore becomes more and more globalized, more and more people coming, all ages, all walks of life, all races, amen? Short of calling us the international church of God, we should be international, reflective of our nation, and that's the important thing, offering love, grace, and peace between us. Paul's thanksgiving. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Your faith proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness. He's daring to call God his witness. For what? That he prays for them without ceasing. It's not something you and me will be daring to call God as witness, that constantly I'm in prayer for you. Constantly I'm in prayer for you. Paul has no problems with that. And that's something to confess, something to repent, something to learn from Paul himself. There's a lot here I can only but summarize, and summarize we will. In this portion, 
Your faith is proclaiming all the world. Of course, there is no internet, there is no TikTok, there is no social media. How could it go? It's a way of speaking. When it arrives in Rome, it might as well a symbol of going to the entire world. Your faith is not a closet faith. So your faith in Christ Jesus is expressed in love for each other. Now in your house churches, as Jew and Gentile try to love each other. And then we need to ask ourselves, is our faith collectively? Is our faith personally? Not a closet one, but proclaim. Will people know you if they see you as a doctor? There's something about you, doctor, that is, I can't pinpoint, but there's something about you. Will people know that you, you're a Christian doctor, that you're a Christian lawyer, you're quite different, that you're a Christian banker? That's what our marketplace ministry is equipping our people to be. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you wear on, on the forehead some here, Christian. No. So we had, I don't know where I remember, years ago, this Indian evangelist, and he has the, I think, the reputation of going to the most countries in the world and just singing, singing. So channel, uh, CNN knew, uh, caught hold of him um, that um, he was in America and interviewed him. Right. But he says, cannot speak about Jesus. Cannot speak about Jesus. So what do you think he did? He didn't speak about Jesus. He wore a cap that said he belonged to Jesus. <laughs> there are different ways in which you can be unashamed of Christ. And so how can our faith be proclaimed? We had a church camp speaker come years ago, and when he came, one of the first things he did, he's from Gordon Conwell, says, you know, we've heard of your reputation even in America. I said, really? I hope it's a good reputation. That's the thing. You go around the world, you've mentioned ARPC, mentioned Pastor Jeff, Pastor Chris, but people know, what do we stand for? We stand for Jesus. I mean, now at last, succeed in coming to you. So Paul couldn't come. And one of the reasons he couldn't come may be quite clear by now. Why? Because there was a decree that Jews couldn't come to Rome. So he couldn't come, and scholars estimate, to AD 60. Right? And so a change of plans does not mean a change of heart. That's very important for our relationships. Sometimes you have a change of plans, but you have to say to each other, no change of heart. I wanted to come, I wanted to come, I just couldn't come in time. And we may mutually encourage each other. He speaks of a gift. And I think the best interpretation i read so far is that far, if he couldn't come in person to pastor them, to preach to them, then the next best thing he could do was to write to them. His letter was the best substitute of him in person. His sermon was the best substitute of him. And in doing so, he strengthened them. He strengthened them in faith and to be the family of God. Keep loving each other. Don't keep judging each other as Jews and Gentiles. So no wonder that our team this year is strengthening, tell me, strengthening faith, strengthening family, that faith in Christ Jesus will always lead to love for one another. And that's so important. During COVID, did you experience expressions of love? The depth of it, I was stuck here in this building. But through that time, right, person after person sent food to us. Did you? I don't know. And every time the food came, we were encouraged that we are remembered. I hear through our DGs that that happened between you. And so in all these different ways, we come to the end, Paul's secret weapon. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, the power of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, far from being ashamed, is the unthinkable power of God. It was the Romans, as it were, who invented this cruelest crudest form of punishing rebels. Death on a cross. And they could impale you on the cross. Impale you, that means they stick something right up through you. Or they could nail you to the cross 
for a slow death. But in Roman circles, they never teach this or mention this to their own children. They had double standards in terms of their social convention. They invented this punishment called the cross to strike fear in all the people that they conquered, to bring about peace, a fake peace, a fake peace by terrorizing people. Right? And here is Paul, unashamed of the cross, which they are so ashamed to speak about. How can this be a civilized nation, a progressive nation? The whole world is compelling Singapore to drop the death penalty, especially for drugs. And our government has said, as far as we are government, it will not be dropped. Because if you drop this, we become a drug-addicted nation. Because already the trend is very clear that Singaporeans, young and older, will travel to as close as Thailand or Malaysia to get their fix of drugs, detox for a few days, and then fly back. That's the new trend. You think this nation will survive that? You just have to go to the exhibit in Sentosa to see what it was like with Singapore in the 1800s and 1900s. One in three men was an opium addict. And so drop this penalty. This thing called the cross is not a fashion statement you wear, right? And a fashion statement that you wear, so go back. So the cross of Jesus Christ, far from being a shame, is the unthinkable power of God. And so you believe this? That if Paul was to write a letter to Singapore today, what might he write to us? One of the richest countries of the world now, definitely in top 10. One of the most desirable countries to migrate to, very high on people's migration lists. But you heard Dr. Adrian Lowe, who is a psychiatrist, that the suicide level last year was 467, a 25% jump from the year before. The highest number of youth, one-third of youth between the ages of 10 to 29 died from suicide. The greatest spike in those taking their life between 70 to 79 was by suicide. I quoted an article that was sent, I think Straits Times, that it cost the Singapore economy $16 billion to try and deal with anxiety and depression. I quoted that at the church camp, I quoted that last week also, right? But when I read the figure, I said $16 billion seems too, too low. And then I chanced upon on a follow-up article on that by Vikram Khanna, who was interviewing Taman, right? And Vikram, about the same time in Straits Times when, when I was there in the 1980s, he's still there. Phenomenal thinker. The estimates of $16 billion is way below estimates underneath the underbelly of progressive nations shows that the wrath of God is being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No amount of globalization, no amount of human progress is ever going to cure this heart. And so it will be the same message we preach it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that reveals only one channel carries this news, that Jesus and the cross is the answer to your problem, which means whatever problems you have is Jesus and the cross. I was preaching in another church. Immediately after, a woman came up to me and said, can you speak to my daughter? Yes, yes. yes. She just wants to die. She just wants to die. She has an eating disorder. I, I met her. She doesn't want to die. She has an eating disorder. She's trying to live. But she's down to, I do not know, a critical weight. I look at that. I share my heart with you. Don't be ashamed of the cross. So what is it I could give the mother and father? What is it I could give her? Say, I may not meet you again but I offer you Jesus. I do not know whether you'll be cured of this eating disorder, but whatever it is, Jesus loves you. 
be unashamed of Jesus. He's our hope in life and death. Whatever problems your children are facing in school, whatever uncertainty we are facing, Jesus is the answer. No area of your life should ever be disconnected from that. And Paul will go on to, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. He says in God's salvation story, this story, chapter 1, right, the whole Old Testament was God saving one nation. But through this nation, as fulfilled in Jesus, the true Israelite, this gospel goes to all nations. So in Romans 9 to 11, he wants to stop two things. The superiority of the Gentiles, who think they don't need the Jews anymore, and the inferiority of the Jews, because they are conquered people. So he pleads for them to understand the equality, all equal in sin, all equal in saviour, all equal in salvation, all equal, the totality of the church. And that's so important. Whenever you enter into Christian fellowship, we are all equal in Christ Jesus. Amen? So from the time you walk in, say and greet as many people with the love of Christ, whatever their ages, whatever their walks in life, you do not know what they're going through. And so, to explain this, the righteous will live by faith, but a more possible interpretation of this, closer to the truth, as he quotes Habakkuk, is the one who is righteous. We are not righteous by keeping the law. We're not righteous by our own human merit as Gentiles. We are righteous by faith. The one who are righteous by faith in God's promises, righteous by faith by believing in God giving His Son to save us, that God vindicates His holiness, saves us by Christ and Christ alone, that person will live. It has been from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and that's the only way to live. So the righteousness of God, it could mean a few things. It's referred to eight times. And the sermons in the weeks ahead will explain it some more. Something is the justice of God. Something is the faithfulness of God. Some say it's the attribute of God. Something is the activity of God. I think the, it's a combination of most things, but it probably lands on the status of righteousness declared by God. God declares you, though you're totally guilty, His wrath is rightly upon you and me. He declares you totally innocent. And then He, by His Spirit, remakes you into the image of Christ. So Jesus reigns by bringing us true peace. To write about another peace apart from the peace that the Roman Emperor and Roman Emperor could, could bring was very dangerous. It was tantamount to being anti-government, anti-social. To believe that you believe in Jesus, true peace will really come to your heart and my heart. And so, we do apologize that the 800 seats reserved for us for City Alight has been sold out as of yesterday, I think in the first half an hour. The three churches were allotted 800 seats each before it goes on sale tomorrow. Tomorrow, 1,300 goes on sale. I think it'll probably go because this one is all three churches involved. And every time we do that, so how can we help each other not be ashamed of the gospel? In big ways like that, we invite people to the Geddes concert, to City Alight. So for Geddes, a significant proportion of parents brought, brought their youth along. For City Alight, I understand, a lot more youth are more in tune with their music. So some of them are bringing their parents along. That's not bad. So between the Geddes and City Alight, and it's no small thing, I said it three times, right, that the, the value of the Gettys, the values of City Alight, the value of singing Christian music is infinitely more than Coldplay, Taylor Swift and Blackpink put together. <laughs> At a fraction of the cost. Because you sing the songs, you sing of eternity. You sing of someone who saves you, someone who gives you hope. All the rest, yeah, Coldplay will become Hotplay one day and I don't know, Taylor Swift will not be so swift one day and Blackpink will turn to another colour. I, I have no idea what it is. But Jesus is Alpha and Omega. When you are alone with your temptation, do not call Coldplay. When you are alone in your loneliness, in your depression, do not call Taylor Swift. 
When you are lying in coma, your family does not call Blackpink. You call Jesus. The gospel is the power of salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then let's kind of go out there and send the message that we are out not to bless ourselves, but to bless Singapore. The figures are not good for, for us. I've said this many times. 18% Christian includes 6% Catholics, 12% Protestants. That's official membership numbers. Every denominational leader I've spoken to have told me that the denomination is not the numbers that are there 10 years ago. Nowhere is it anywhere close. And so we are probably in single digits with aging population, restless youth, falling birth rates. We cannot sit on our laurels. We got to get on our knees and pray for our own love for Jesus and love for people to know Jesus. Amen? And every single one you pray for, invite, sing into the kingdom with, brings glory to God. And stand and pray together. Musicians who come, we celebrate the Lord's communion, the Lord's supper together, and then we sing our closing song. Heavenly Father, help us by your Spirit to understand your wrath was being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as we hear Paul the Apostle write under your instruction and inspiration, and it is unashamed of this glorious gospel. It's the power of salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. By your Spirit, fill us not just with increasing knowledge of you, but increasing love for you, a willing surrender to you, a trust and delight in you, that we who have come to know you will not stagnate, but grow and blossom. And we pray that in hearing the gospel afresh in Romans, you will kindle this love for you. And we pray for those who have not given their life, that we would see in Jesus and the cross where your wrath and mercy meet and learn to appreciate and learn to accept with humility no righteousness of our own, but the righteousness from you. Thank you for this good news that has come from you, this good news which is about you, and then it is good news for us. Pray that we would hold fast to this, delight in this, live by this, and may our whole identity and purpose be increasingly wrapped up with Jesus unto your glory. Amen.